0: You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 11, Episode 9, Letter from Star Trek Enterprises, circa 1967. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek. Larry Nemechek.
1: Well, welcome back, all you Star Trek fans. Hey, everybody. I mean the full gamut of fans that listen to us because you never know what we're going to get into each week. And uh, whether you're a, a tech head, as I love to call you, a canonista, and I say that lovingly because I'm one of both, or, you know, or just a general Star Trek history buff. If you're a treko spelled with an F, you're going to enjoy this week's as well. Gene Roddenberry using a form letter. But that's going to get us into our conversation today. It, you know, if you're curious about what in the world I'm talking about, we're going back to the original series days. You can see the document this week they're going to be using, as always, as every week. they at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Hey, check it out. <laughs> Follow along. Here's an audio sample. And then I'll be right back with this week's very special guest.
0: here at Star Trek have read and enjoyed your fanzine so many times, we wanted to send you a complimentary copy of the first issue of Inside Star Trek, the official and first Star Trek newsletter. Hope you enjoy it as much as we have yours so many times in the past.
1: All right, short and sweet, but uh... I'm going to say part of a revolution, part of a revolution. If Star Trek is a revolution in science fiction media for the masses on screen and pop culture, part of that revolution is in the way that not only did it market itself, but the way it tried to meet fans halfway, because for some reason, this little show had way more fans than almost anything else at the time did. You know, Star Trek kind of wrote the book on on fandom and marketing and uh, well, I think it reinvented pop culture. But who am I to say? Let me get somebody in here to back me up on this. And uh, he's been a guest recently. I'm so thrilled to have him back again. Um, out of the worlds of uh, home video and licensing and marketing and the journalism, uh, the first generation of uh, Star Trek.com, also, and a longtime friend of mine, good friend Tim Gaskell. Tim, welcome back to the Trek Files. Larry, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Very generous of you. Well, sure mm-hmm. thing. Generous of you to come on. And you know, I, I was trying to think of something that would be fun. Looking through our archives, trying to find something that would be fun to talk about and and to and uh, uh, points to your your history with the France, as well yeah. as just being an overall fan. Yep. And uh, you, so what? But you you saw this and said, let's let's do this. What about this?
0: And I'm looking at your background, but what about this yeah. sparked your <laughs> eye? Caught your well, eye. Well, be- because uh, Gene here is talking about the uh, their official and first Star Trek newsletter. So this is before magazines or anything. This is a newsletter that you would get, you know, in the mail, and it would be. Was it a full? Was it a foldout thing? I, I don't. I never had just that, a little
1: typed. But, you know, little yeah. typed uh, looked like the early zines.
0: You couldn't tell the difference between it and the fanzines almost. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this this is this is the OG right here, and. So, going down that path, you know, the obviously Dan Madsen, you know, eventually had these official Star Trek magazine in the UK. I mean, sorry, the US. Um and then as as licensing wanted to branch out and they realized that, you know, it wasn't just a US phenomenon. This was a pretty much, you know, especially in English-speaking countries, uh it was a very big phenomenon. Um so in the UK, the fan base was as passionate the U.S., obviously smaller given the size, but very, very much um, dedicated on so many levels. They were early um, convention adopters and, you know. Well,
1: it was it got over the U.K. by the 70s, and I would just say for all the Americans that overlooked this, and, of course, it's changed a little bit the last generation here, but at the time, Star Trek had to have been so well you know so well made such an attractor magnet to fandom that there was enough left over from doctor who in the uk it, <laughs> to still have a yeah. big base for star yeah. trek right because they already had their own homegrown fan product that they were crazy about
0: and what i found out yeah exactly what i found, what i found out by going to conventions early on in the uk is that that fan base between the uh, doctor who and star trek pretty much uh, crossed over in a big way. Not so much in the U.S. because we didn't have that. But. Right. Right. And let me ask Let me let me just get personal here for a second. Really? And
1: and I didn't ask you this the first time you were on. Uh, you have a very American accent, but you were obviously working in the U.K. So what? where did you grow up? How did you wind up in the U.K.?
0: So I grew up, I'm from the Bay Area and I grew up in Fresno and went to college there. And then as soon as I graduated, I, well, just before I graduated, I went to study in London. And then I went to work on a kibbutz in Israel for a few for a month or so, month or two, and um, I met my future wife there. And she was from London, and we got married the next year. And then I just I was just graduating; she was just um, starting drama school, so it made sense for me to go over there. I would work, and um, you know, I would work and put food on the table while she did her drama. And, um, that's how I got into, I started working at one home video company that was uh, what they called sell through video where the $10, 10 pound, the cheap videos that you'd buy of movies, you know, old movies that are all basically out of copyright or whatever. You know what I mean? The the ones that they could package and sell quite easily. And that was a bit, that was a big thing caught on really quickly. And that's why Star Trek also drove the, the home video, uh, market in a huge way so uh i went from that company to paramount um and but paramount in the uk the uk around the U- paramount in the uk um my my boss at the first company um left to go work for paramount his name was paul Brett. he later became a uh, oscar winning producer for the king's speech so you may know you may oh, know that name if you we love the king's speech yeah, yeah. so uh all anyway i all got me in uh, to have a look with the uh, kind of the production side of, of uh, getting videos produced and, you know, out there. It covered a gamut of things from covers and I wrote some of the copy for the covers and I wrote some special issues that special editions of the VHS and stuff. So that got me into that. And then while we were, while we were, Doing the video, uh, people from QBC came in one day and said, We want to sell some of the videos on QBC in the UK. And they said, But we need somebody to talk about it. And they looked Famous around the room. Famous shopping
1: channel for anybody yeah. who doesn't.
0: Yeah, in the States
1: as well as around the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they looked around the room and they pointed at me and they said, Wait, you're, you're American. You'll sound like you know what you're talking about when it comes to Star Trek. They'll believe you more. Plus, you know a bit about Star Trek. And you come on and talk about it and that was the beginning of a at least two year three year relationship with qvc and going on you know you became mr star trek for qvc i did yeah yeah and i would bring in special guests like john kerrigan i think came in on one day richard arnold came on once or twice Mm -hmm. so you know i brought people in as well so to make it now wait 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 let me back up yeah. You just said
1: that you were among all these Brits and they said, you're the American with the American accent. You'll sound like, you know what you're talking about. Is it just the opposite of what we think when we have a Brit over here
0: talking and we think they're the expert, just that automatic. Absolutely. When it comes to cultural things, you know, they will look at American culture. They won't look to an American for the kind of the kind of a, a a voice of reason or voice of knowledge when it comes to that stuff. And, you know, they're not all wrong, but, you know, so that was that was a that was a good fit, and also that's kind of why they got me to do the fan club as well. Um, so it did it did, did it did work in my favor, you know. It didn't always, you know, because sometimes for the time a little, that there was
1: a yeah. and, and for a while there was a license. Now they've consolidated to a global, but for a while in yeah. the '90s and the odds, there was a licensed yes. fan club in the UK, and Germany, and I mm-hmm. want to say Italy and France and I think Australia, they
0: did yeah. And uh, so. My, my remit with getting hired by the fan club, the, the nation, just beginning fan club in the UK was to um, write and edit the magazine and kind of, you know, eventually do like a product catalog that we could sell, stuff like that. And eventually we were even looking at this, um we were looking at doing stuff for the internet through that, you know, which is which kind of a whole nother story there that. As but, as soon as people understood
1: what the internet was gonna be. Right.
0: Yeah, but we were so we looked at things like um we we started off basically we we looked at Dan's magazine and Dan Manson to,
1: with the official yeah, American fashion. Official club. American.
0: Mm-hmm. We love Dan's thing, but we wanted to do our own spin. We didn't want to do just the, the version of that. So we wanted to put our own kind of British spin. So the idea was to do uh do a layout that was kind of, you know, spoke to Star Trek fans, had a different logo, um, had kind of the Cars look on the front and, um, and some of it inside as well. We did. We got celebrities to talk about their, their favorite um, Star Trek and how they got into it. That was a feature. We, Non-Trek celebrities. Non-Trek right? celebrities, Mainstream yes.
1: celebrities, yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of radio, uh, radio, radio DJs. UK, um, and we did that. Um, I feel like you wrote some stuff for us. You know? I, I may have. I, like see, that, I feel right. like you did. Um, so we la- I can't remember how many uh, issues we did, but we we went as long, as long as we could, and it was um, it was a lot of fun. And it, at the yeah, at the same time, while I was doing this, I was also going you know doing QVC, the magazine just come out of Paramount Home Video. And I started my life going to conventions. And um, I went to my first one when I was still at Paramount Home Video. And it was up at, at Blackpool, I think, in way up north near Manchester. And it was on uh, what they call a holiday camp. Did you ever go to one of those? No. Okay. So they, they have these <laughs> holiday camps in the UK. If you ever see the movie Tommy, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, they're kind of cheesy family getaways that if you couldn't afford to go to europe you went to a british uh, um, holiday camp and it was you know kind of fun for the family so anyway the, my first convention was this up is there. sounding a
1: little bit like the family resorts up in the catskills in new york right. yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. but the okay. entertainment you know we, we didn't have yeah. didn't have good comedians that was the only thing um <laughs> but so that so basically i was getting every i was i was i was in touch with you know, the fans on a daily level, because they were writing to us, people like, you know, uh, Mr. Rudolph and all that, they were writing to us and it was, it kind of, I was kind of overwhelming. I couldn't even respond to everything because I was trying to write a magazine, do all this stuff. And it was hard to, cause you did, if, if it was email, it was easier. It was much easier to respond, but I was getting back then it was just letters. So we got, you know, People praising the magazine, people criticizing the magazine, people telling us what we could do better. You know what we, what they, you know, kind of their wish list of what they wanted. They had people just asking genuine questions about the show and what does this mean? What does that episode about? You know, yeah. Um, can you get, can you get so and so to be interviewed? That kind of thing. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun, and that's where I kind of saw the, you know, the. The, the Mr. Rudolphs of the world, um, you know, kind of coming at us with with their love of Star Trek.
1: Because I had the I had the American magazine after at, yeah, I'd done the companion book by then, and the American magazine started in, in uh, my end of it from '98, and then the last seven years it existed. So we share that world. What amazes me, getting back to our letter this our document this week, is. This all seems very typical now but this is we dated this it doesn't have a date on it but it's got to be 1967 because that's about when they started the in-house newsletter and it looked about like this. We've we've had them on the show before. It's been our document before. You couldn't tell it much different from a typewritten fan fanzine, right? right. Yeah. And They've already come up. Gene and Majel have started Star Trek Enterprises, which very quickly became uh, Lincoln Enterprises. But if if it was flat, if they could, if they would sell a script or an in-house manual or photos, certificates, you know, if it was flat, they would mail it. Film clips mm. and patches. There we go. And that, but those things had already exploded. And again, I think the last time you were on, we talked about this, the ways that Star Trek... Pushed the envelope because it created this demand that nothing existed before to really. S- There'd been, you know, fan clubs for singers and movie stars, but for a show, for a TV mm-hmm. show. And of course, it didn't go away. But even more so, this is a form letter because he's mm-hmm. typed in Mr. Yeah. Rudolph. And we yeah. don't have whatever Mr. Rudolph's original letter was. Yep. But here's Gene, the producer of a 1967 show who's already got a a fan club, you know, a newsletter, which some shows would have. Okay, Man from Uncle and the Monkeys, I'm sure. But here's, they're doing a newsletter plus a catalog to buy stuff. And they're savvy enough to say, I'm sending these both to you because you wrote us a fan letter (laughs) and here's a cover letter with these two things. And I'm the executive producer of the show telling you all this.
0: Yeah. Well, because this guy had a fanzine. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I'm, but I'm
1: just saying that's got to be, Yes, he was a fanzine editor, so he was a what do we call that? An R, but He was an
0: influencer
1: of the day. Yeah,
0: and and <laughs> yeah, and Gene here is doing kind of you know marketing, uh, word of mouth marketing. Exactly. You get, you get this, you get this, you get that. You tell people, we'll tell you know, we'll it, it's it works for everybody. Everybody benefits. You know, we get the word out, and people love the idea of getting you know information. It was all about information because. You know when we talked about the internet that's why it drove the internet because people wanted information and they wanted it now and yeah well what did rick berman say that porn and star trek built the internet it, absolutely i was <laughs> going to say porn as well that's those are the two things that and if you look at any kind of historian of the internet internet they will tell you those were e-drivers and yeah absolutely
1: and I, I just love to say, because Star Trek needed that connectivity and passion to drive the connectivity and demand and hunger, yeah. and very few things, And I mean, people had their rock band, people had their, their sports teams, but in an ongoing yeah. way that, you know, they didn't tie into their own lives. Exactly. You know, the way Star Trek affected so many people. Because, so. Yeah,
0: because it's, it's, it is a different dynamic, you're right, I mean, the sports thing is something that makes you feel good in the moment. Um, where Star Trek is something that stays with you, you think about it a lot. You know, you you go back to it, you revisit it. You you want you, you want the background, you want the information, you want the inside scoop, and that's why these fanzines were were so beloved by by people. Yeah,
1: it just it just amazes me that within a year of you know Gene went from the Constantly working writer to someone dreaming of having his own show, so he could sit back, relax, and collect some residuals as a creator, and not have to, you know, do one-off mm-hmm. scripts. And within just two or three years, he went from that to being a producer to realizing he had something special here. Mm. And you know, some might look at this and say, "Oh, look how he's huckstering it." But this is what we do all the time now. We have, you know, pro- not just actors now and stars, but producers and writers are out with their socials.
0: They're on TikTok. They're doing TikTok. And they're, and they're, all, and they're
1: talking about other brands. They're talking about, you know. I'm, uh, I'm just, it just, I mean, we can look at this and go, yeah, he's, he's being very smart and savvy here. But how, how often did anyone have the platform and the numbers to come up with? Nobody yeah. did this before then. This is then early because- viral marketing. Early viral mark. I, I, just the fact that he's sliding things in that envelope and sending it back, no. uh, just is amazing. Yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. to me.
0: Well, we have a lot to be appreciative. You know, we, based on this, you know, we we look at how much of our lives it's affected. This this one man, this one man's idea, and we we've been like part of it for most part most of our lives. You know, it's uh yeah. Again, people. You can jump
1: in and say, well, he's being consumerist and commercial here. But if you think about all the lives affected by this guy and everyone who followed his footsteps and the yeah. show and what he created, uh, you could say it's given a lot of people livelihoods. You can say, it's, you know, driven the cultural and technological uh, mm. look of our lives, too. But um, just going back, that's what I love about our show. And, and even though we have 80s and 90s events, looking at things in the 60s um, that didn't exist before Star Trek either invented them or inspired them, or forced the need for somebody, you, you know, yeah. to invent it. it absolutely, anyway, even when it's just marketing. As uh, <laughs> somebody from across the pond, like you, has an extra. Uh, not well, you grew up across the pond with Star Trek yep. and then came back yep. over yep. Um, to spend many years here. Well, Tim, this has been awesome once again. Um, Thanks for coming in and uh, not just echoing my mindset, but adding a lot of your journey there too, yeah. and uh, reminding everybody that Star Trek is global. And um, uh, well, I'd love some time down the line to get more into this. I'm, yep. I'm always fascinated because we have a lot of, of members in my community from around the world. And I always appreciate getting out of our American you know ruts and remembering what the rest of the world is uh, thinking about Star Trek. So maybe we can do that sometime down the line too. Absolutely. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment and all of our documents, plus your chance to comment, of course, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes like this, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, uh, yeah, that's me, at larrynemachek.com, which is also where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody.